1947, the British poet W.H. Auden published a marathon work. It was called The Age of Anxiety, and it won the Pulitzer Prize in 1948. It's inspired symphonies and operas, and it's regarded as one of the great works of poetry of the 20th century. I've never read it. I'm not sure many other people have read it either. Uh, One scholar describes it like this. Uh, The Age of Anxiety is a dramatic poem. It's also a difficult work, elusive, allegorical, at times surreal. But more to the point, it's boring. The characters meet, drink, talk, and walk around. Then they drink, talk, and walk around some more. They do this for 138 pages, and then they go home. As I say, I haven't read it, but I think the title is brilliant. The Age of Anxiety. It does somehow sum up our modern age. It was Macmillan who said, you never had it so good. And in many ways, he was right. People live longer than they have ever done before. Generally, standards of of living rise year on year. Technologies improve. Our generation has uh, uh, an ability to travel, more time for leisure than previous other generations could ever dream of. And yet, this is an age of anxiety. Anxieties abound. In our reading today, uh, Paul gives a Christian response to an age of anxiety. The mental health charity Mind describes anxiety this way. You may worry about your future. You may feel you're not in control of your life. You can feel anxious about events out of your control. The way you think can be affected. You may fear the worst is going to happen. You can start to see everything in negative terms. You become pessimistic about your future. There's a distinction between fear and anxiety. We are hardwired to fear danger. Fear can be a good thing. Fear spurs you into action. You see a toddler running towards the road and you fear for them and you act and you run and you grab them. You get a letter from the bank, your heart thumps, you open it, you read about your overdraft and fear prompts you into action. You hide the letter. No, you don't do that, I'm sure. Fears are based around concrete threats or challenges. Anxiety... Anxiety is different. It's nebulous. It's diffuse. Rather than prompting us to act, it can paralyze us. It can make us unable to make a decision. Sometimes we feel anxious and we just don't know why, and so we just don't know what to do. Anxiety debilitates and paralyzes us. One commentator has described anxiety as a corrosion of the soul. So what's Paul's advice to an anxious generation? Let's remember the context. 
He's a church leader. He's writing to his church uh, far away in Philippi. He's uh, chained up in a prison cell. He has guards who stand by and watch over him. His sole source of food is that which his friends will bring him. He doesn't know if he'll be released or if he will be put to death. And he writes to a church he founded, and he writes to a church that is anxious for him. He offers them some theology and some pastoral advice. The theology first. First line of our reading today from Philippians. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Sometimes the most profound theological insight is expressed in the most simple terms. Four words. The Lord is near. Three words. God is love. Simple, true, yet so profound. The Lord is near. What does he mean? This is a theme that occurs and occurs again and again throughout the Bible. God is near. For many of us who wrestle with anxiety, God seems far from near. He seems distant and remote. For those of us for whom life seems to be spiralling out of control, God might exist, but he has little to do with our day-to-day. Not so for Paul. Paul reminds the church that he founded that God is near. That God is near by his spirit and God has drawn near in the person of Christ. This letter to the Philippians contains that great hymn speaking about the incarnation. About the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became nothing. The one who uh, drew near to our human condition. The one who took the form of a servant and was found in human likeness. The God who drew near in the person of Jesus Christ. God is near is not just a truth to be recited for Paul, but it's a reality to be lived. Paul is convinced God has drawn near in Jesus and in drawing near has shown us his true nature. We see the heart of God in a Jesus who looks out over Jerusalem. He looks out over a city which has murdered the prophets. A city in which he knows he will soon be put to death. And his response? It's not anxiety. It's not anger or rage. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to gather you like a hen gathers its chicks under its wings. That's in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 19, we see Jesus again looking out over Jerusalem. And this time we see that he weeps over Jerusalem. There's only two times that Jesus is described as weeping in the Bible. One when he weeps at the grave of Lazarus, his friend, and this occasion where he weeps 
over Jerusalem. And what does he say as he weeps over Jerusalem? He says, O Jerusalem, if only you had seen that which brings you peace. If only you had seen that which brings you peace. God's heart breaks when we fail to see that which would bring us peace. That's the theology. The Lord is near. So what's the advice? In one sentence, do not be anxious about anything. But in all things, by prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving. Be in prayer, Paul writes. And the word for prayer that he uses there is not a word like uh, say your prayers, uh, say certain words, uh, have a certain prayer ritual that you keep. It's, It's much more general than that. It means have an attitude of prayer. Have a disposition of prayer. It carries a sense of moving into the presence of God throughout the day. In John's letter we read, Perfect love casts out all fear. And Paul's antidote to anxiety, his message for an age of anxiety, is to have a life filled with the love of God. Have a life permeated by a sense of the presence and power of God. And you'll discover the peace of God. One of the most influential books on Christian spirituality was written by a monk in the 17th century. He was called Brother Lawrence. And the book's called The Practice of the Presence of God didn't actually really write it. It's rather a series of reflections that he gave that others wrote down after he had died. His life was marked by a radiant sense of peace and joy. He was a man others sought out for counsel and for advice. You can get the book today. It's free to download. It's very simple and easy to read. It's almost the opposite of Auden's Age of Anxiety. Just a few short pages. His thesis can be summed up like this. Practice the presence of God where you are. Turn to him frequently in the midst of your daily life. Talk to him. Thank him. Do each simple task for him. He's a simple monk. He's no great writer or theologian. He spent his life working in the kitchens of his monastery. It was actually a task he didn't enjoy and he found difficult. He was a large and uh, clumsy man and uh, his uh, other monks always spoke of him uh, dropping pans and burning his hands and uh, spilling things in the kitchen. He was from a humble background. Before he was a monk, he was a soldier and he he fought in the Thirty Years' War. He was injured and discharged. He uh, walked with a limp for the rest of his life. His only reason for going into soldiering was that they gave you one good meal a day. After he was discharged, he didn't know what he would do. One day he found himself wandering through a forest uh, in winter. And he spied a barren tree. 
A tree in the middle of the forest uh, looked like it was dead, completely uh, barren. And he thought, that tree is my life. That tree is... <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> that tree is my... I'm not getting emotional. <clears throat> I just need a drink. <clears throat> Sorry, that's never happened before. That tree's my life. It's barren. It's empty. And then he thought, but one day, spring will come, and buds will form, and leaves will form, and that tree will bear fruit. And he thought, if God can do that in a tree year on year, then God can do that in my life. And he resolved at that moment to serve this God to love this God and to see if God would bring fruit in his life. He resolved at that moment to live each moment with God and for God. That's what he did in his monastery. He wrote this, We ought not to weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love of with which it is performed. I'll read that again. We ought not to weary of doing the little things for the love of God. Cleaning the pans, chopping the carrots, stoking the kitchen fires. For God regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. In doing these little things for him, And with him, we become aware of his presence. And his presence has the power to transform our lives. Paul writes, be at prayer. In the sense of having a general attitude of prayer. But then he goes on beyond this. And he says, present your petitions to God with thanksgiving. Peter writes to one of his churches, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. And the sense here is quite specific. The other word for prayer was uh, quite a general prayer, uh, quite a general kind of attitude. This is quite specific. Present your specific anxieties to God. Bring your specific fears to him because he cares for you. Well, as old hymns used to say, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What does Paul write? Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things present your request to God. People in West Bridgeford, what are we worried about? Some of us, I'm sure, are worried about Iran's nuclear ambitions. Some, I'm sure, are concerned about a regional war developing uh, sparked off by a conflict between Turkey and Syria. Some will be anxious as to whether or not Britain will move out of recession as recorded on Monday. But far more of us, I suggest, are anxious 
about a lump that they found. Far more of us, I suggest, are anxious about children not settling in school or college. Far more of us are anxious about how we'll make the mortgage repayments if our hours are cut at work. God is concerned about these things too, as well as the big things. Paul's advice to his church and his advice to us is simple. Whatever your anxieties, whatever your fears, whatever are the things which trouble you, name them in God's presence. Bring them to him. And do this with a sense of thankfulness for all that he has done thus far. There's an encouragement here for those of us who have uh, just a general sense of anxiety. To be brave and to look into it, to analyse it, to condense it down, to explore what's behind it and underneath it, and to bring those specific anxieties and fears into the presence of God. And as you do this, Paul gives us a promise. Or rather, God gives us a promise through Paul. As you do this, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I wonder what you think of when you hear that phrase, the peace of God. Some Christians, I think, when they hear of the peace of God, imagine a kind of zen-like absence of emotion or passion, a kind of calm contemplation, a sense in which all the emotions are just kind of uh, filtered away and you're left with a pure, logical, zen-like mind. That's not a Christian understanding of peace. Others think of uh, God's peace as a kind of spiritual morphine, in which they're enveloped by a supernatural cloud of peace, a warm fuzzy which drowns out their emotions and their fears, and they float away in the peace of God. That's not a Christian view of peace either. The scriptures are much more realistic, because the scriptures are true. The peace of God, writes Paul, will guard your heart, and guard your mind. It's an image from the army. I imagine Paul trying to think, how can I describe the peace of God and looking up and seeing the soldier guarding the door of his cell? A soldier standing there with the keys to his cell, with a sword, with a shield, with a spear, guarding who comes in and who goes out. And he says, that's what God's peace is like. God's peace will protect your heart and your mind from the anxieties which assail you if you bring those anxieties to God. God's spirit will guard your heart. God's spirit will assure you in your heart, in your inner self, that he is near, that he's greater than the problems that you faced. God's Spirit will remind you in your heart that God is for you and not against you. That God 
as he did in Christ, weeps over you when you fail to see the answer uh, to your anxieties, the peace that you desire. God's peace will guard your mind. Protect your mind. Rather than flip from uh, disaster scenario to disaster scenario, he will assure you that God's wisdom is sufficient. God's spirit is available to you. He will lead you through the problems that you face. God's peace will guard your mind. In the words of the psalmist, he will direct your paths. He'll give you direction. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you insight. There's only one final question to ask, and that's, does it work? It's great theology, it's good pastoral advice, but does it work? In this age of anxiety, is there any cash value to this teaching? 30 years ago, Time magazine uh, featured on its cover five missionary families Families with incredible stories to to tell. People who were noted for their uh, humanitarian and Christian work that they'd done around the world, and not just uh, individuals, but uh, families, generations, grandparents, uh, children, and grandchildren. One of those families was the family of uh, Russell Morse. And they told the story of their father, a man who'd been a missionary in Tibet and China. He was born in the 1920s. Uh, He moved to the Far East and was involved in Christian work uh, in China and Tibet, partly in Burma as well. His children continued that work. His grandchildren continued that work. In his memoirs, he tells the story of being arrested in the late 50s. He says this, One day the communist soldiers came to visit. Come with us, they said. May I bring my bedroll and some spare clothes, he asked. Oh no, you won't need anything, they answered. The revolution will take good care of you. He knew they weren't telling the truth. For 18 months he was held in a communist prison. Fifteen of those months were spent in solitary confinement. His cell had no window. There was only a small hole high in the wall to let in a little light. No bed, just filthy straw in the corner. For 15 months, he wasn't able to speak or talk with anyone. His only contact with the outside world was when each morning the little uh, hatch would open at the bottom of the door and a bowl of food would be pushed through. He had no Bible. He had nothing to read. Uh, The guards took his spectacles away so he couldn't see. He wrote this. The only things that helped me keep my sanity during that period were Bible verses and hymns I'd memorized. The one verse that kept me going the most was Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Pray about everything, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. He wrote on to write, If ever there was a time to be anxious, 
It was when I was in prison. And if ever there was a time when it was difficult to pray and be thankful, it was then. But I kept repeating these words in my mind over and over again. And in doing so, he discovered the peace and presence of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Each week in this church, we say the words, the Lord is near here, his spirit is with us. Uh, Yet for many of us, those words can seem alien and artificial. Father, I pray this morning for all who suffer with anxiety, for whom it's just a small issue in their life, uh, for those for whom it's a major issue in their life. Pray for those who are crippled by fear. Father, I pray for all of us. Lord, I pray that you give us the grace and strength to turn to you. That you give us uh, the courage uh, to name our anxieties, to bring them into your presence. That you would challenge us by your spirit to spend uh, each day in the presence of you that in doing simple things for the love of you, we would discover your presence and peace in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we discover more of your presence and more of your peace, that we'd be free from the anxieties which bind us, that we too would be radiant and full of joy, and we would too would discover the presence of your spirit in our lives and the purpose for which you've called us. In the name of Christ, amen. Sorry, it's never happened before. That tree's my life. It's barren. It's empty. And then he thought, but one day, spring will come, and buds will form, and leaves will form, and that tree will bear fruit. And he thought, if God can do that in a tree year on year, then God can do that in my life. And he resolved at that moment to serve this God, to love this God, and to see if God would bring fruit in his life. He resolved at that moment to live each moment with God and for God. That's what he did in his monastery. He wrote this. We ought not to weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. I'll read that again. We ought not to weary of doing the little things for the love of God. Cleaning the pans, chopping the carrots, stoking the kitchen fires. For God regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. 
in doing these little things for him and with him, we become aware of his presence. And his presence has the power to transform our lives. Paul writes, be at prayer, in the sense of having a general attitude of prayer. But then he goes on beyond this, and he says, present your petitions to God with thanksgiving. Peter writes to one of his churches, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. And the sense here is quite specific. The other word for prayer was uh, quite a general prayer, uh, quite a general kind of attitude. This is quite specific. Present your specific anxieties to God. Bring your specific fears to him because he cares for you. Well, as old hymns used to say, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What does Paul write? Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things present your request to God. People in West Bridgeford, what are we worried about? Some of us, I'm sure, are worried about Iran's nuclear ambitions. Some, I'm sure, are concerned about a regional war developing uh, sparked off by a conflict between Turkey and Syria. Some will be anxious as to whether or not Britain will move out of recession as recorded on Monday. But far more of us, I suggest, are anxious about a lump that they've found. Far more of us, I suggest, are anxious about children not settling in school or college. Far more of us are anxious about how we'll make the mortgage repayments if our hours are cut at work. God is concerned about these things too, as well as the big things. Paul's advice to his church and his advice to us is simple. Whatever your anxieties, whatever your fears, whatever are the things which trouble you, name them in God's presence. Bring them to him. And do this with a sense of thankfulness for all that he has done thus far. There's an encouragement here for those of us who have uh, just a general sense of anxiety. To be brave and to look into it, to analyse it, to condense it down, to explore what's behind it and underneath it, and to bring those specific anxieties and fears into the presence of God. And as you do this, Paul gives us a promise. Or rather, God gives us a promise through Paul. As you do this, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I wonder what you think of when you hear that phrase, the peace of God. Some Christians, I think, when they hear of the peace of God, imagine a kind of zen-like absence of emotion or passion. 
a kind of calm contemplation. A sense in which all the emotions are just kind of uh, filtered away and you're left with a pure, logical, zen-like mind. That's not a Christian understanding of peace. Others think of God's peace as a kind of spiritual morphine in which they're enveloped by a supernatural cloud of peace, a warm fuzzy which drowns out their emotions and their fears, and they float away in the peace of God. That's not a Christian view of peace either. The scriptures are much more realistic because the scriptures are true. The peace of God, writes Paul, will guard your heart and guard your mind. It's an image from the army. I imagine Paul trying to think, how can I describe the peace of God and looking up and seeing the soldier guarding the door of his cell? A soldier standing there with the keys to his cell, with a sword, with a shield, with a spear, guarding who comes in and who goes out. And he says, that's what God's peace is like. God's peace will protect your heart and your mind from the anxieties which assail you if you bring those anxieties to God. God's spirit will guard your heart. God's Spirit will assure you in your heart, in your inner self, that he is near, that he's greater than the problems that you faced. God's Spirit will remind you in your heart that God is for you and not against you. That God, as he did in Christ, weeps over you when you fail to see the answer uh, to your anxieties, the peace that you desire. God's peace will guard your mind. Protect your mind. Rather than flip from a disaster scenario to disaster scenario, he will assure you that God's wisdom is sufficient. God's spirit is available to you. He will lead you through the problems that you face. God's peace will guard your mind. In the words of the psalmist, he will direct your paths. He'll give you direction. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you insight. So there's only one final question to ask. And that's, does it work? It's great theology. It's good pastoral advice, but does it work? In this age of anxiety, is there any cash value to this teaching? 30 years ago, Time magazine uh, featured on its cover five missionary families, families with incredible stories to to tell. People who were noted for their uh, humanitarian and Christian work that they'd done around the world are not just uh, individuals, but uh, families, generations, grandparents, uh, children, and grandchildren. One of those families was the family of uh, Russell Morse. And they told the story of their father, a man who'd been a missionary in Tibet and China, who was born in the 1920s 
Uh, He moved to the Far East and was involved in Christian work uh, in China and Tibet, partly in Burma as well. His children continued that work. His grandchildren continued that work. In his memoirs, he tells the story of being arrested in the late 50s. He says this, One day the communist soldiers came to visit. Come with us, they said. May I bring my bedroll and some spare clothes, he asked. Oh no, you won't need anything, they answered. The revolution will take good care of you. He knew they weren't telling the truth. For 18 months, he was held in a communist prison. Fifteen of those months were spent in solitary confinement. His cell had no window. There was only a small hole high in the wall to let in a little light. No bed, just filthy straw in the corner. For 15 months, he wasn't able to speak or talk with anyone. His only contact with the outside world was when each morning the little uh, hatch would open at the bottom of the door and a bowl of food would be pushed through. He had no Bible, he had nothing to read, Uh, the guards took his spectacles away so he couldn't see. He wrote this, The only things that helped me keep my sanity during that period were Bible verses and hymns I'd memorised. The one verse that kept me going the most was Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. And with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. He wrote on to write. If ever there was a time to be anxious, it was when I was in prison. And if ever there was a time when it was difficult to pray and be thankful, it was then. But I kept repeating these words in my mind over and over again. And in doing so, he discovered the peace and presence of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Each week in this church, we say the words, the Lord is near here, his spirit is with us. Uh, Yet for many of us, those words can seem alien and artificial. Father, I pray this morning for all who suffer with anxiety, for whom it's just a small issue in their life, uh, for those for whom it's a major issue in their life. Pray for those who are uh, crippled by fear. Father, I pray for all of us. Lord, I pray that you give us the grace and strength to turn to you. That you give us uh, the courage uh, to name our anxieties, to bring them into your presence. That you would challenge us by your spirit to spend uh, each day in the presence of you that in doing simple things for the love of you, we would discover your presence and peace in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we discover more of your presence and more of your peace, uh, we'd be free from the anxieties which bind us. 
that we too would be radiant and full of joy. And we would too would discover the presence of your spirit in our lives and the purpose for which you've called us. In the name of Christ, amen.